If Reality Check Radio enriches your day in life, support us to keep bringing you the content, voices, perspectives, and the dose of reality you won't get anywhere else. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate. Good morning and welcome back to Counterculture here on Reality Check Radio and welcome back to Reality Check Radio, Gilda Kirkpatrick. More than just a real housewife of Auckland, she is so, so much more than that. Good morning, Gilda. How are you? Good morning. Uh, I'm excellent. Thanks for having me on your show. Oh, I've been looking forward to having you on. In fact, you were on my list, and that's when I found out that Cam had snapped you first. So I had to. I thought I would wait, and I was. I was really excited to have you because your story is fascinating, and I really encourage listeners if you have not listened to the interview that Cam did on the Crunch with Gilda way back when he first started with the Crunch. It is excellent it talks about your life um coming to new zealand just give us for the listeners that listen to this show just give them an idea of uh your early life coming from iran to new zealand as a teenager with your sister um sure well i come from iran tehran um and i came here about 33 years ago so i was 16 when i came to new zealand i just finished high school and uh I'm 16 going to 17. I just had finished high school and my sister and I came to New Zealand because Iran at that point uh, was already very in very sort of um, terrible situation, especially for women. But, you know, we were younger. My sister already had been overseas studying, but I was younger. And then by the time you come to teenagehood, the reality hits because you then are, you know, you become qualified to be under prosecution, uh, you know, everything that goes with the Islamic rules. And it no longer was a place that we kind of felt safe. To be fair, like I grew up in war, so it wasn't like any time that I felt safe after the Islamic revolution, but in a legal manner, it became, it became kind of intolerable what we went through in that short span of time uh, for me as a 15-year-old turning 16. And so anyhow, we uh, came to New Zealand and we've been here since. Both of us, we came here, we worked, we studied, we both have studied architecture she's just got her master's or just got my degree and um for the past so i've worked in advertising for 15 years but but since the COVID hit i really have kind of i really didn't work because i had my own agency i kind of was busy you know homeschooling the kids during all the lockdowns etc and um somehow I just didn't really get back into it. I don't know. I I suppose it was one of the side effects of being um, under mandates, especially as an unvaccinated person and the lockdowns where I kind of never really got myself back together in terms of, you know, um, having that drive to get away every morning, work all night, all morning. And to be fair, you know, I missed, the, you know, when my kids were young, uh, I had living nannies and I missed on their progress growing up. And while I um, 
because I was at work all the time. And then, you know, when I had the opportunity during lockdown to spend time with my kids and, you know, help them with their schooling, I just felt like, you know, I need to spend more time with these kids. Mm -hmm. That is my priority at this point. How old are the children now? Ten and eight. Yeah. So, I mean, in a way, as much as things were restrictive, that's a gift, isn't it? You know, to be able to have that time when you haven't had it before. Yeah, it, it kind of like put a compulsory pulse on. Um, this is one of the funny things that I, you know, I, I think about, um, you know, the lockdowns. A lot of people got affected very negatively. People committed suicide. They they became depressed. Um, you know, a lot of people went off the wheel. They drank too much. They used drugs. They put on weights. You know, you know, it had a, a lot of issues that it brought with itself. But in another hand, um, I think it was awakening uh, for a lot of people politically. And also in terms of, you know, you know, getting back to their hum- humanity mm. uh, and not thinking about consumerism, not thinking about, um, you know, just buying and keeping up with the Joneses and, you know, their usual sort of um, habits of just spend- going out, buying, shopping, you know, shop, you know, therapy by just spending money, go work hard and then go and spend all your money. It put people in a position where they had to rethink their life. Well, they had an opportunity for once to evaluate their values, their path. And as you have noticed, a lot of people, like before in New Zealand, nobody gave a damn about politics. People didn't know much about geography. Like I, I've been here for 33 years and only in the past couple of years, I have noticed that people know what's going on internationally. They've gone and educated themselves. They've developed interests in politics. They've developed interest in, you know, geopolitics, etc. Uh, and it, it goes the same way with, you know, the way they handle their children or their household or, uh, so as much as it had negative effects, I think the moment you give a human being a break, naturally they will start thinking and looking for reasons and solutions and um that's a positive thing to me whenever you start questioning and re-evaluating your life it's a positive thing and although it was a terrible thing but it had some unexpected unexpected side effects yeah and i mean you've touched on that with like so you've touched on lockdowns you've touched on politics do you think Kiwis, and I mean, you've been here, as you said, 33 years. Do you think Kiwis have actually taken their freedom and democracy for granted? Today or before that? Well, just even, um, well, particularly during the lockdowns, I know from my perspective, I was appalled at how readily people complied, how readily they gave up freedom as if it was the most natural thing in the world to do. Yes, it was very concerning. And to answer your questions, yes, I think, I I believe that. I believe that, you know, it's like, you know, that saying, you know, once bitten, twice shy. If you don't have experience, you know, it's like there's naive people who go to Piha, right, a surfing beach. The waves are crazy. The currents change all the time. It is not 
it's not a lagoon. Mm. You know, you don't go there swimming, thinking, oh, it's just a seal, go swim and come back. Any second, it can change and it can drown. And that's why we have so many people dying at Piha, because people underestimate the power of the sea. They are not experienced with it. But if you are in a sea one time or as a child or whatever, and you experience the power of that current, it, 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 it gets into every uh, molecule of your existence. You don't forget that experience and you develop a respect for the sea and you never ever uh, would go and just jump in without understanding what the nature of that patch of beaches or waves are. So Kiwis haven't had that exposure. They haven't really been in in a volatile situation for example, like Middle East, just as an example, it's many places. It's in Africa, it's uh, parts of Europe, and, you know, lots of places have got, you know, political or, you know, just unrest issues, etc. South America. But New Zealand has always been very, it's just been ticking along. It hasn't really affected New Zealand as such. So I don't think anybody really developed any interest to go further and educate themselves about what it means to have this freedom, to be able to walk up to your politicians and just speak to them or to, uh, you know, it's a very simplified little country. It's vast, it's big, but we have 5 million people as a population, five point something now. Um, You know, when you compare this to other parts of the world, you know, this is one neighborhood of a city in a country, in a lot of countries in this world. Um, so I don't think people realize or even thought about the idea of freedom. You know, they had this blind trust in the government and, you know, they never were in that position to even think any further than that. But now they know because they've gone through the changes. They experience what it means to overnight lose every control over your, you know, um, individuality, over your rights, your freedom as as a human being. And they now understand what it means to be under a dictatorship uh, sort of, okay, well, you know, the labor, Jacinda Ardern had her thoughts, that was her you know, way of dealing with the situation where um, she believed that that was the right thing to do. It may have not been the right thing. It probably wasn't the right thing. We are now understanding it probably wasn't. But she showcased how easy it was to just take over your life and everything with it overnight. Yeah. It, it, it's it just it still stuns me today how how quickly people complied. So what was the motivation then? So when because you quite famously went down to the protests in Wellington and oh, you yeah. yeah and you spent a lot of time using your social media to get that word out and that was really at a time that if you hadn't been vaccinated especially that you were demonised and what was firstly your big motivation to go to Wellington to the protest and what were the things that you learned once you got there in terms of your experiences when you were there? I planned to go. Uh, however, I had like my kids and I had like, uh, responsible, like I couldn't just 
pack up and go immediately. I went there three days after. I think it was, yeah, three days. The fourth day I was there, I think, and I stayed for the duration. I think what pushed me, I was going to go, but I didn't have a set. I was like, oh, I'll go next week. You know, I wasn't in a hurry. I was like, I'll get there because I had so much other shit going on. But then when I watched how our MPs were addressing our people, and I, when I watched the media and how they were referring to these people that were our everyday citizens, our everyday taxpayers, our everyday people, with the most disgusting language, addressing them, saying they're just a bunch of smelly hippies, they're fringe people, they're this, like they treated, like the way they spoke about these people, it was like, um, I don't think, like I just I remember sitting there watching this and I had this tears run down and I was like oh, fuck you guys I'm going there in two days time and I said like I'm coming down in two days anybody needs anything I'll bring it down I think uh, the behavior of media and the um, you know MPs in the parliament uh, really pushed me to go down and stand up because these aren't fringe hippie smelly people these are every one of us and you know i thought well i'm well known most of my life i've been talked about people know me i'm not considered a smelly french hippie so i'm going to go down and make sure that a whole bunch of my friends will come down to showcase that this is wrong this is us New Zealanders who have an opinion and we are going to stand up for it and you can't label us, you can't uh, put us in a corner by, you know, just ignoring. No, this is all walks of life. And I said that I was going and I remember um, Jason and a whole bunch of other people started because at the time, like I remember the squad run, some of the members were who were in the racing teams were unvaccinated. So they had because of the two meter rule, they couldn't race on the yachts with the other guys who were vaccinated. So they had to have their own team and their own, you know, and they some of them came down and I had all these friends who were um, like Anne came down. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you spoke to. I had some other friends who own, um, you know, they employed hundreds of people. They extremely, you know, productive members of society. They are movers and shakers uh, of economy. They came down uh, and all of a sudden it was like the taboo was gone. It wasn't like, you know, the lie was uncovered. That was my mission at the time to make sure that our people are in stepped on by our politicians and by the media because it was extremely unfair and disgusting. Yeah, oh, it, it, it was truly appalling. And how does it? How has the reaction been now? So I mean, it's been you know almost two. It'll be two years soon since the protest. How was the reaction amongst uh, your social media followers, but also to the people that you interacted with in Auckland, whether it be via the agency or through your children? Did they were they aware of your position on this before you had gone to Wellington, and did they did they treat you any differently, or did they actually wake up and finally actually ask some questions as opposed to just blindly complying? I was extremely vocal on Twitter. I don't really use Instagram or Facebook. 
how do you ever use Facebook? I use Instagram as kind of like a children's digital album, <laughs> like pictures, because you know? I can go to their hashtags and find their pictures quickly if I want to show something some, somewhere. So I don't use those two platforms, but I, I've always been extremely vocal on Twitter before that, before just before labor getting like, I've always been very um, frank about my thoughts and, um, you know, ideas. Uh, and I'm not shy. You don't like it. You, you can't fuck off. You know, it's, you know, as a, I left one of the most beautiful countries in the world where I was born in and I came from. And I came here, gave up all everything there, you know, family, history, everything that I love to be free. And this is a free country. <laughs> and hell has to, you know, turn freezing cold. What's that expression they say? Before I'm going to shut up and not use this freedom to speak my mind. So, you know, that, that's where I stand. You don't like it, deal mm. with it. So when you spoke out, did you find that there were more people actually that had those feelings like you did, yeah, that were too yeah. scared so, to say something, but then were yeah, able to I say? I remember very clearly. Like, so when I said I was going down and I put, you know, a lot of people are on Twitter, but they are not there with their own names and they don't necessarily will come and tell you what their idea is. I, I had people who uh, contacted me from China. They were stuck there. And, and they were like, oh, my God, you're going to Wellington or you are in Wellington. Can we send you money? How can we help? And I was on the ground with people. And at that point, really, there was not much. Uh, there was no need for money. I sort of gave some for everyday stuff. But also somebody deposited like 5K, I think, to my account to give it to people also for whatever you know reason they needed. And I had a lot of like, can we financially help? And I was like, well, I'm on the ground. There's nothing that finance can help at this point. But when I remember when I came back and I was like, oh, well, people can think whatever they like. And that's just me. I'm extremely open and honest about, you know, and uh, my friends, every, everyone knew I was on back to know where my family were. And when I came back, we had this little gathering in the house and there were some very uh, sort of prominent people that were coming from all different sort of sectors of society. And I told uh, James, uh, oh God, do you think they're going to be like funnier, you know, about me going to the protest? And they came in and every single one of them thanked me and they were like, oh my God, thank you. It turns out half of them weren't vaccinated, you know, but they didn't want to talk about it because they didn't want to, the public to kind of understand their situation or position because of the stigma that I had with it. Um, I mean, for God's sake, me and my family and kids have been vaccinated for every vaccine in this world. We just didn't take the COVID jab. And all of a sudden, people go and like change my wiki to anti-vaxxer, all kinds of things. But these people came and they all were so lovely and complimentary and, you know, thanked me. And, I, and, and after that, you know, every person that I came across with, they were, you know, they told me, oh, you know, you did a great job. And it just turns out that, you know, we, we don't talk to each other because we are scared or worried. But when somebody does something, everybody else seems to come and acknowledge it and um, 
I think um, they appreciate for people who can stand up and talk for them because they probably have a position job-wise or whatever, the, you know, very prominent people that they don't need that extra luggage in their life for people to come and troll them or their work to label them. So, yeah, it was it was great. And I still today, I'm getting like, I went to a charity auction and this Chinese man, he walked up to me and he was a very successful man. He said, oh, my God, thank you. Thank you for, you know, I was like, and it, it was, their issue wasn't about jab. It was a mandate. You know, I was there because it was anti-mandate. But jab had its own situation. But like all these people stuck overseas and like the mess that the government made with the um, you know, waiting list and all that, like the international response was something that I was very surprised about. Yeah. So you mentioned gatherings at the House. So let's talk about some of those. You had a number of them heading into the election that were very well attended. I spoke to a friend who, who went to one. And so what was your motivation behind that? Well, just talking to friends and different people, I felt that the trust in the media was gone. People just don't trust media. Anything media says, the mainstream media, they will look the other way. They're like, oh, God, because the media did let people down, the mainstream media. And it, it was quite hard. Their, their representation of the opposition to Labour or the left wing was quite severe. And, I, and people were confused because we had so many right parties, right? There were like a whole bunch of little parties parties and then we had national party as the main party and then we had act and then we had new zealand first i know this you know and i follow these people and you know i i i'm privileged enough time wise to spend a lot of my free time to read comprehend listen understand many people I'm working very hard. They've got kids. They don't have that extra time to find out for themselves. I was talking to everybody was asking me, who are you going to vote? Who are you going to vote? And I felt that they needed to make up their own mind. It's not my place to tell anybody who to vote for, you know. As a responsible citizen, I suppose, all I can do with the access to these people that I have, because I've known them for years or, you know, um, I could provide a platform, uh, you know, one-to-one basis. Each time we had about 150, 170 or maybe more people that attended to come there. Don't talk about media. Don't worry about the media. You ask your question. You make your decision, you know, take interest in the future of your children. Make uh, informed decisions. Don't just ask me, oh, who should I vote for? You vote for who you think. And um, the first one was David Seymour. I've known him. I've worked with him. You know, so many people attended and they asked questions and a lot of people voted for him because they were like, okay, this is our guy. And a lot of people had questions about the way he was handling their questions. Mm. And then um, it was Winston Peters because I personally really resonated with his party, people who work with Enzo first and also himself and the message he was sending out. I really understood what he was trying to do. And there was a lot of negativity about Winston Peters because of what happened with uh, the Labour Party. And I didn't vote for him then. I voted national, national. I've always voted the national, uh, except when I was a student where I voted Labour you know, three years in a row. <laughs> 
Uh, which was uh, Helen Clark time. Yeah, you know, I was happy with oh, my boat. Don't worry, darling. I, I used to live in Mount Albert electorate, so I've been there, done that. <laughs> um, and I voted Greens because I truly believed in the environmentalist movement. I still mm. do. However, the Greens today, to me, don't pre- represent anything to do about New Zealand environment. The only environmental thing they have is what, you know, the international standard is. And the rest of it is absolutely something that I don't resonate and will never vote for if they carry on the way they do. But, you know, like I did really, really, uh, you know, I thought that was, he took this stand and he got knocked down so many times by the media that I felt like it was my obligation to give him a platform and invite, I don't know, a couple of hundred people to come in here and question him and stop repeating what the media says, stop repeating all this hatred towards him because of what happened with labor. You know, he had the best intention, but unfortunately, you know, the situation wasn't exactly where he had control over. So he came and a lot of people then, of course, changed their minds. And then we had the national thing, you know, all their, you know, sort of uh, female MPs came along and there was a big crowd. And um, I think these three parties were the parties that I personally would have endorsed myself. And I felt that people, uh, but I would never tell anybody to vote for whom, but I felt that people, uh, you know, it's my duty to give them that honest platform because I felt that the media was failing them. Yeah. And so now we've got the coalition. Honeymoon period uh, doesn't seem, they didn't seem to get a honeymoon period like uh, Jacinda did. Um, what have been your thoughts since the coalition has been formed and in the last, the shenanigans of the last couple of weeks? Well, honeymoon period is only an illusion that sort of comes to reality, to existence by the media. So the media never gave them that opportunity. It's just how it is, you know. Um, From before the election until now, they've been at war with mainstream media. And I've said it, you know, I think a couple of times that it reminds me so much of the situation with Trump, you know, where it was all jokes and knocking down like they did with Winston, with his age, with everything, with Luxon, with his hair, whatever, anything, but the reality of what they were offering to our citizens. Um, They did exactly the same thing with, you know, Trump, because I was watching it like a Hulk at the time. And after the election, the whole thing went onto a full sort of, you know, frenzy. Uh, of making fun, belittling, sort of disrespecting anything to do personally with Trump than any of his policies or any achievement that he managed to do during his time in office. And he achieved a lot. I know as a you know Middle Eastern person, somebody who comes from Iran, what Trump brought to the table and what he achieved during that short time of three years, despite the whole left machine being against him. The same exactly scenario is happening in New Zealand right now with our mainstream media. And, you know, we rely on people like you guys 
and the platform and this independent, you know, establishments to combat what the mainstream media is doing. And I think having, you know, Twitter under Elon's, you know, management has been great because voices like yours uh, managed to get more traction and attention and you guys have managed to reach more people than it would have been possible during the time where Twitter was absolutely another arm of the left brigade. Mm. Yeah. I mean, so now, because now that the election is over, I mean, I, what you did really, in a way, was surprisingly old-fashioned. It was actually taking the politics and the power directly back to the people, wasn't it? What are your sort of thoughts now moving forward? I mean, once we get through the holidays and you kick back with the kids and stuff, I mean, moving forward into 2024, what sort of advocacy work do you think that you'll continue to do in this space, if any? Well, I will just make sure pretty much by any means to make sure that people don't lose interest and don't get too comfortable just because we've got our coalition. It doesn't mean that we can just all back off and sit there and just get on with our ordinary everyday life. We, they need every single one of us to back them up and to call out when, you know, the opposition or the media does something wrong and also to call out when they do something wrong and when they are not fulfilling their promises and when they are uh, failing to adhere to what they have sold to their voters, to the taxpayers. I think the time for being idle and passive is completely gone. We are in a dire situation where every single day is a battle with the media and with the politician, whether the people that we chose or the opposition. So uh, yes, we casted our vote, we have representatives, but at the end of the day, it is our responsibility to make sure those representatives are doing their job and the media is being held responsible for um, their lack of uh, integrity. Uh, because it is so easy to turn back and say, oh, it's misinformation, it's disinformation, where they are the biggest source of mess and disinformation. You know, when you go back and look at, you know, the information and the promotion that came out of our mainstream media about a product that was bought by the taxpayers' money, which was the vaccine, which promised that it was for the safety of elderly, uh, autoimmune disease people, immune compromised people, which included the cancer patients, uh, a whole kind of promises that this vaccine, you have to take it because you will protect these people, right? They said that. The prime minister said it, you won't die if you take it, you won't get sick, and, and then people took it, they got the COVID, they transmitted the COVID, they died of it, they got side effects. Um, and so in any normal establishment, a company or whatever, if you buy a faulty product, you will hold the person who sold it to you responsible. You claim back your money. It is the consumer's right to do that. So why have we not been able to do that? It was our money that went to buy to a, a faulty product. And then I hear it's very disappointing. I love uh, Sean Plunkett. I think he's doing a great job. And I feel like the platform is uh, doing an absolutely amazing job. But I, when I 
hear or see Sean writing or hear him saying, oh, well, a bunch of elderly died. And uh, it's like, yeah, they took the vaccine that was supposed to keep them alive and they died. Mm-hmm. They died of COVID. How can you justify that? Just it's, because it's, it's, it is certainly his one big blind spot. Yeah, and I understand he's quite emotional, like he's trying to take responsibility and I understand about his health. And, you know, he's like, I'm the responsible person and I, you know, I did wrong things. So I ended up in this position where I've got, uh, but okay, you did that, fine. You can take that on your shoulders. Your shoulders are broad enough. But what about all these other people? Give them 1%, one chance, one opportunity to at least have a platform to stress their concerns. I'm not vaccinated, my family are not, a whole bunch of my friends aren't. None of us have really got COVID, none of us have died. We haven't got any side effects. We don't have any disease, we don't have lung COVID, we have have none of that. But then again, I've got a whole bunch of vaccinated friends who are continuously telling me, oh my God, I've got this, I've got that, the fucking vaccine I took, blah, blah, blah. It's these people I've known for decades. They've Mm. never talked to me about their health concerns. They've never had issues. They've been as healthy as ox. Why all of a sudden do you think a whole bunch of healthy people all my life that I've known them all of a sudden are coming out and they're upset about like their health status and are facing major issues and, you know, maybe listen to them. This is like upset. To me, it's kind of like it was the same with vaccine. It, it was like a religious belief, you know, mm. science is not religion. Science is, if anything, is the opposite side of religion. Because if you look at religion, it's, it's about absolution. You either believe in God or you don't. And if you believe in God, you believe in everything that God says. Now, there are people who've gone and manipulated it and changed it around because the time has changed and they're like okay this is not selling anymore this absolution is not selling anymore so they're like oh okay where the inter i can never pronounce this word interpretation <laughs> yes that you know they've taken that and they're like okay this is the new way we address these old rules that were absolute rules but oh there's a twist to it so the time has passed and we now look at it in this way that's why there are a bunch of churches out there who are like, oh, no, it's okay to be gay and we marry marry you and blah, blah, blah. We're in the original version. It it is absolutely not acceptable. You know, it's the same with Islam. You know, it's absolute. It's either there or it's not. You can't change it around because you like to. And the actual practicing Islam that is happening in many countries in this world follows that absolution because that's what religion used to be. Catholicism was the, like like Catholics and like they were the same. You know, they used to burn people if they didn't believe in the idea of Catholicism or, you know, but today, you know, the time has passed. So Christianity and Judaism, you know, they're old religions. They've kind of evolved and they've changed and they've become more modern. But that doesn't mean it's the same religion as it came out and it used to be, that absolution of it. Mm. Uh, and science was always against opposite to the religion because it was about the experiment, it was about finding out, it was about nothing is absolute, everything is to be considered, researched, found out. And today, you know, with this COVID situation, they've changed roles. 
you know, we used to be able to be like, okay, you go to a doctor, they say, oh, you have to have a back surgery or you have this cancer and you're going to do this treatment. You're like, okay, thank you, but I'm going to go and get a second opinion. You go to a different doctor and get a different opinion. You would go to four doctors and get, you know, and then you would estimate which ones are more to your sort of belief and you would go with that. What happened with COVID? That objectivity of science and the idea of inquisitiveness and questioning and experimenting with science was thrown away by Jacinda Ardern's regime. It was like either you're with us or you're against us. Either you believe in this, this is the this is the absolute religion that you have to believe in, or you're put aside, or you are a psychopath, or you're labeled some lunatic and the society uh, of course you know we are used to religion from thousands of years ago that mentality is embedded in every single person it was easy for them to go with the religious path of believing and then castigating anybody on you know which burning anybody that questioned the absolution of this new religion of the jab and the covid you know measures and I think actually even wokeism too, all those cultural is all part of it. It's all wrapped up in the same doctrine and dogma. Yes, it's become a religion. You know, the, you know that there is no place for questioning the gender ideology. There is no place for ever questioning something that is emotional comes from somebody's brain that I feel like this today and I may change my feeling tomorrow. So none of us are, we are all labeled, we lose jobs, we are canceled. If we question it, why? You know, it, it's, since when you, you put religion aside because it didn't tolerate your ideas and your different way of thinking and your different path of life. You parked religion aside, you changed religion to match your questionings. And now you are asking everybody else to, you know, treat your ideologies like a religion. That is stupid. Mm. It is walking back. It's going back. It's going back to dark ages. You, you know, in a day and age where we should and must ask and find out and allow people to experience, you know, you do that. But don't ask me to treat your path as the only path. Mm. Well, and that's just that they're creating a whole new, I mean, you're right, it's like the dark ages, we're like the new heretics, but here we are. And you just have to create sort of other parallel societies. And I think that that's what we're all doing now. So one final question before we head off. Um, what brings you joy? What is something heading into the festive season that makes you happy? <laughs> I get very happy and very sad every day about the most basic things of life. Like, you know, I watch my pets. I watch my kids. I watch other kids. I watch people being happy. You know, I look at social media, people post something interesting that has made them happy. That makes me happy to see hope in people. That has made me really, really happy this season to uh, talk to people and see them being hopeful for a change, for freedom of thought and speech, and for the fact that we have been promised many great things by the people we've elected 
uh, that makes me very happy. Now, if they deliver, that's a whole different question. I get happy with very basic things, and uh, I also get sad with very basic things. The other day, I rescued a bird, baby bird, and it died. And for two days, I just cried. I was very sad. <laughs> you know, so my sadness and happiness are very much based on very, very basic everyday things. They are not grandeur of thoughts. <laughs> um, that, you know, I, I'm not that that kind of a grand person. That, you know, big things make me happy or sad. I, I get affected on daily basis. Mm. So it's like that old saying, take time to smell the roses, because sometimes it's the simple, small things that will make you happy. Absolutely. I, yeah, you know, it's just, you know, I, I see news about baby ruthless empire that like sticks with me for weeks and I can't shake it off. You know, that that's in my sad category folder in my head. I continuously think about what we can do. What can we do? What can we do? What can we demand? to make the situation better. And then I see, for example, my friend's head recovering from cancer and that makes me really happy. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, I believe in our <laughs> vets and the system and the way they treat animals and they take them seriously. And so, yeah, it, it comes as big and crazy as the human life, a child, the most amazing thing that our existence for the future depends on to the most basic thing as, you know, a pet. So, mm. yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Hey, look, Gilda, thank you so much for your time today. I really do appreciate it. This has been Gilda Kirkpatrick here on Counterculture. Um, it's been great to chat to you. And as I mentioned before, do make sure you listen to Gilda's first interview with Cam Slater on The Crunch. It was fantastic. We will uh, make sure if you if you can't find it, it is on the replays in the app. So do go and look that up. And I do follow you on Twitter. You are a little sparky demon on Twitter, I have to say. What's your um, Twitter handle? Um, well, X now, isn't it? What's your handle on X? Um, well, if you go Gilda Kirkpatrick Twitter, you'll find it. But it's strange, you know, underscore G. But if you Google it, Gilda Kirkpatrick Twitter, you'll find it. I, I make a lot of terrible grammar and spelling mistake. I rely too much on my phone. I never check when I post, so it's terrible. Like, don't follow me if <laughs> my my posts are very bad. But um, then again, I, I'm very honest and, you know, I'm not there to gain praises. I'm just there to discuss and try to, you know, make sure that people pay attention to what's important. No, you most certainly do that. Look, this has been Gilda Kirkpatrick here on Counterculture with Reality Check Radio. If you've got any questions about what Gilda has had to say um, or you've got any feedback for us, 2057 is the text number and inbox at realitycheck.radio is the email. Thanks, Gilda. Thank you so much, Ben. Thanks for having me on your show. You're most welcome. Thank you for tuning in to RCR Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, just like what you're listening to, Either way, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you. So connect with us today.